Hello and welcome to an all new Talking Fußball Extra, our Stieg edition, your source for all things Zweite Bundesliga and lower league German football. My name is Nick Wiltung and I'm currently rather depressed by Werder's performance this weekend, but to get me out of my funk and hopefully making me stop thinking about that back pass played by uh, Nikolai Rapp, I've got a couple of very special people joining me today. One of them is our tactics expert and the woman who knows the Bundesliga 2 better than I know my mother, or my mother knows me for that matter. It is Jasmine Barber. How are you doing today, Jasmine? I'm good. I'm sorry for nearly laughing at you being depressed there. Um, <laughs> football was, but... Oh, it happens. It's football. Everything else in life is working out perfectly, but, you know, I, I cannot get out of that depression as of now. Um, the second guest I have uh, lined up for you today is uh, is a very special man. He is our refereeing expert, a ground helper deluxe and rather smug these days because he uh, he started off our conversation by saying, I told you so. It's, of course, Mike Rickemeyer. How are you doing, Mike? I'm fine, thank you. And, of course, I told you so. Yes, yes. Spoken like a true table topper. So, today we'll be taking a closer look at how the newly relegated sides from the Bundesliga are faring. Oh, that's not going to be pleasant for me. Uh, we talk a little bit about St. Pauli's crazy right in Heidenheim, and we will, of course, give you some news from the lower leagues as well. All of that is to come. So, Mike, let's start with you. You had a bit of a more pleasant weekend compared to me. And additionally, exciting times. You were able to go on the road once again. So so tell us all about that. <laughs> yeah, hooray. Yeah, it's been great. And as you might know, Heidenheim is far away from being the hotspot of German traffic. So I needed to start my journey on Friday already, which gave me the opportunity to travel to Aschaffenburg, mm. uh, which is not that far away from Frankfurt, by the way. So I totally misjudged that. And I'll come back to that when we talk about the ground hopping tips. So on Saturday, we proceeded to Heidenheim, and it's been a huge success, although it didn't look like that in the first half, to admit that. But we came back with three goals in just five minutes, and especially the third one from Guido Burgstaller, it was a goal that you only score if you are at the top of the table, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so it was a cross that was deflected, it lands directly in front of his feet. 80 meters in front of the goal and he scores with the outside of his foot into the upper right corner uh, well right of the goalkeeper it was just fantastic because uh, we were standing in the away end and we were directly in the line of that shoot and this was just great we, we really saw that coming and um, well going back home with the Deutsche Bahn is always an adventure but that would be an old story <laughs> well, Deutsche Bahn, they are known for their strikes and they're known for being rather untimely. I mean, that sort of uh, prejudiced feeling that uh, that people have uh, when it comes to German transportation, that, that it always runs like clockwork. Nah, nah, it's, it's not true. Yeah, that's correct. You have to go to Switzerland for that. <laughs> <laughs> not to dish out any more prejudices on, on this podcast. Well, uh, what, what shall we make of St. Pauli's performance, though? Um, are they now looking more and more likely to stay at the top of the table throughout the entire season? Well, um, no. Uh, it's starting to get scary, man. It's it's 10 match days in. Come on. Yeah, but, but we do need to collect 18 more points to avoid relegation. And... Um, I won't say anything else until we have them. So, But Jasmine might have some more thoughts on that. Well, at the start of the season, I may have done an anti-jinx and sent Pelly by saying, oh, I don't expect them to do well again this season. I'm pretty sure I've been proven wrong. So you don't have to worry because I've already put that into motion. If we talk about the team itself, Bergstoller is doing great. He's second highest top scorer, nine goals, St. Pauli are second in expected goals. Their XGA could improve a little bit because they're currently 10th in expected goals um, allowed. Yeah, allowed. I don't know why I forgot the A there, but yeah, they're doing really well. And in this very unpredictable league, they seem like the only team that learn from their mistakes or at least push harder the next game week if a result hasn't gone their way. We say every week, consistency is key. 
Um, let's see if they can keep that in the second half of the season. Well, I, I was just taking a look at the, the teams that were in, in the top three of the last couple of seasons. And, well, uh, the team in first last season after 10 matches was Holstein Kiel. They narrowly missed out on promotion. And the team in first in 2019-2020 was actually HSV. And they, of course, also missed out on promotion that season. So um, if it's an omen going by uh, how, how these teams have fared... It might not be a good one being in first position after 10 match days. However, if we uh, look one season further down, 1890, I think I think Köln were actually in first that year, and they did get promoted. So um, stats not necessarily on your side, but no reason to worry just yet. And talking about being worried, let's talk about the newly relegated sites. We can start off with a more pleasant story uh, for, for those of you who are supporting Schalke. The Royal Blues, uh, they actually found some relief uh, through late gold of uh, Marcin Kaminski in their way tie against Hanover 96 this weekend, which means that they've jumped to third suddenly. Schalke, are they finally back on track, Jasmine? You know, are, are they playing the sort of football that warms your heart right about now? Not really. <laughs> but that's depending on what football you like to see. Um, it's hard to say if they're on the right track. They've still lost the highest amount out of the top five at the moment. We have a bit of fixture bias around them. Their last three wins have been against Hansa Rostock and Ingolstadt, who are obviously both promoted teams, and Hanover, who aren't a good team, I would say. They're wildly inconsistent, but I would just say just generally not good. And they still needed, what, 94 minutes to get that winner. It was very, very to the death's end for them to come back. And, you know, Schalke have the best squad in the league. And they've got the league's top scorer with Torada, who has 11 goals already. And they should be a little bit more convincing against those teams. All their wins have come from lower place teams, uh, Dusseldorf, Kiel, who's not really performing this season so far. They didn't beat Auer, which is a shock, and the only other promotion rival that they've managed to beat was Paderborn. They've lost to three other higher place teams with Hamburg, Karlsruhe, and Regensburg, so it's still unsure what to judge them right now. I mean, the next three matches against uh, Dynamo Dresden, Heidenheim, uh, that's on the road, and then at home again against Darmstadt are certainly going to tell us a little bit more, aren't they? Yeah, I, again, Dresden next, another promoted team. I'm sure they'll win that one too. Heidenheim, Darmstadt, I'm expecting those ones to be a bit trickier. Bremen, again, possibly tricky. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Nick. Um, Sandhausen, they should win again, unless... You know, they've actually become their sexy 442, which I was completely worldly off the mark class episode. But then after that one, they have Pauli, Nuremberg, Hamburg. And now that's, an, that's a really scary time to be them. That's a completely make or break part of the fixture list. They don't have good solutions with the ball. But uh, again, it could be fixture bias, but... Their underlying numbers are good. They're one of the best defensive teams and the fourth best attacking team. So, it, again, just really hard to say. We just need those next few mid-table higher teams to really figure out who this Schalke team are. So, Mike, what are you expecting from them going forward? Are, are you expecting them to start being a rival forcing Pauli for promotion? Well, in the end, it all comes down to the last match day because we will play at Schalke. Oh, sorry, no, it's match day number 33, so our last away game will be at Schalke. <laughs> um, but yes, in, in general, I expected Schalke to uh, end up in the first three places, and I will stick to that. I didn't expect HSV and Werder to end there, so um, I will also stick to that prediction. But Schalke should be uh, one of those teams in the end. And, well, you can say they only scored in the 95th or 96th minute, but they had 24 shots versus two shots in that game. So they were definitely uh, the team that should win this match. And they did in the end. The problem might be if anything happens to Simon Terodde, then I don't know how they will proceed. But 
Until then, everything should be fine and they should go up in the end of the season. Now let's turn to Werder then on the other hand side. Uh, they have found it difficult to find any sort of stability this season, as you mentioned, Mike. Uh, their 3-0 win against Heidenheim was followed up by a catastrophic performance against Darmstadt, which ended in a 3-0 loss. Jasmine, you, you know Marcus Anfang quite well and the way he wants to play football. Why haven't things worked out for him so far? Oh, there's a loads of things, really. I mean, things with a relegated squad are always going to be harder. There are clear differences between them and Schalke, especially in terms of depth of squad, what happened to their squad during the transfer window this season, and... Right now, the players aren't built for Marcus Anfang to work with. They didn't really replace their squad good enough. I, I don't believe that. And things are just aren't going right. But then again, if you look with any of the other teams, especially in the game against Darmstadt, there was one goal that they conceded. It was basically an absolute screamer. And then and the next goal that came was a defensive mistake. And it's just about closing these things down. It, it makes it look a lot worse than it is. And unfortunately, it's Mark Sanfang who has to bear the brunt of that transition, kind of transition period. And it's fair to say he doesn't get much backing from Fritz and Bauman. Well, they, Fritz and Bauman, so they're happy with that squad, uh, should they? No, I think it's completely... It's very, very infuriating, and I would be infuriated as a Werder Bremen fan if I was one. I think their squad is horrible. I, I, if you saw this, and that's me speaking quite highly of it, if you saw the moves that their rivals took, Hamburg and Schalke, in made in the summer to compete and to actually try and give them the best possible way of going up. Schalke signed Salazar from Frankfurt, Kaminsky, Valtis from Gank. They signed Torado, who is the elite vitamin league experience that you want in the squad. They got Paulsen. They kept Tior and sold off all their less than great players that had that relegated energy in them. Werder Bremen has three players probably that have vitamin league experience. And a squad that doesn't fit Anfang's style of play. They sold all their good players in not in the best way or the nicest ways that happened. We had drama with Friedel. We had drama with um, Sar- Josh Shar- Shar- uh, Sargent. Sargent. Oh. Um, Fritz and Bauman are too snobby to find good youth from other leagues, including the um, Dresa Liga that can bridge that gap for their financial issues. If they're still looking at like Europa League players and then complain they're too expensive and we can't get them, you just have to wonder what on earth are they playing at and what their earth kind of departments they've set up for this. They basically have their head in the sand right now. And I, I don't think they've actually realize the, the the situation they're in and what they need to do to actually bounce back up. I mean, for me, who watches this team week in and week out, uh, what has become apparent is that the number six position in midfield just shambles, really. Um, Gruev is not really experienced enough or has played at a high level before to fill out that position in the Bundesliga 2. Christian Gross has his limitations. I mean, I like his fighting spirit and all that, but... Um, Honestly, I, I don't think that the Bundesliga or the Bundesliga 2 are a good fit for him. Um, I think he'd be better in a third-tier side. And uh, then Mbom, yes, he can fill in that position, but I prefer him as a number eight or, you know, even as a right-back, to be honest. And, um, you know, I mean, the, those three solutions at hand, they're rather poor. I think that um, the starting options on the wings, uh, number eight, striker, they're decent. The back four is not catastrophic. A uh, bit surprised that Anfang prefers Zetra over Pavlenka, but um, I think it's it's because Pavlenka is not that good with his feet compared to Zetra. And that is a fair enough point if you want a keeper who um, is part of the game. But all in all, I think what really hinges on is, is the fact that the club has refused to do anything substantial about that position over the last three or five years. I mean, the type of players they've gotten in were Nuri Shine at the tail end of his career. And 
that wasn't a great move. And they've said, well, Philip Barkfreder can play there. Well, he's always injured, and now he's playing for the reserves and says he doesn't want to come back, which is understandably not understandable. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's just that this position has been the biggest problem area for almost half a decade, and yet they've refused <laughs> to do anything about it. I think the rest of the squad, when you just look at the starting 11, it's, it's a good, decent Bundesliga 2 side. But as you said, the depth is kind of lacking when some players are injured. I mean, um, Niklas Fulkrug is not really a great backup for Marvin Dutch. I mean, you wonder if he ever is going to score another goal again, the way he's been playing this season. So there. Um, and would you, would you like any thoughts, Mike, before I get too depressed? <laughs> well, I, I I wonder a little bit if, if Bauman and Fritz are really the ones to blame at least for the summer period because I do believe that they nearly had no other way to deal with the situation from a financial perspective and of course we are not all into detail with that and yeah it might be a little bit unfair to compare the players that Schalke bought but the main important advantage that Schalke had was time because they knew from, I don't know, February or whatever, that they will play in second league this year. And Bremen hoped to stay in the first league until the very end of the season. So maybe that's one big difference. But of course, in the end, when you look at the squad, when you look at the, the figures, Schalke did a much better way than Werder did. So not to argue about that. And, and if they say they are happy with the squad, well, well what else should they say? They can't say, we did a rubbish job here and we just have rubbish players. <laughs> they need to say that they are happy with the situation and make the best out of it. But again, I said before the season, I don't think that they will play that good role and um, I will stick to that. So I, I think the place that they are in now will be more or less the place that they are in at the end of the season. Right. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Nick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, uh, yeah. I've, you know, the Bundesliga 2 is the greatest league in the world, and I, I like getting used to it. Uh, Jasmine, any any thoughts about Darmstadt? I mean, they're, they're really doing well now. 16 points so far this season, touching distance to promotion. Should be happy, right? Um. Yes. Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Good squad, amazing squad. That team, I, I think that squad should be doing better. That's the only thing I will say. Great. Uh, now for something entirely different and a lot more unpleasant than Darmstadt. But we, we simply need to talk about HSV and something that happened during the weekend, during the, their 1-1 draw against Fortuna Düsseldorf. HSV posted to their Twitter profile that there were incidents of fans racially abusing players on the pitch, players of both sides. Fortuna player Khaled Nari uh, took to Instagram to state that he had been racially abused by HSV fans who used uh, racial slurs and threw beer at him. Um, additionally, there also were insults leveled at uh, Bakari Yatta. What more do we know about these uh, incidents, Mike? Well, first of all, I need to repeat something I said in the last episode. It's always difficult for a St. Pauli fan to talk about these incidents for other clubs because it's always like, oh, well, they are from this club where everything is perfect and what do they say? Uh, I, I really hate that, so I would laugh if every other club is doing great and I know that the position we are in at the moment is something we achieved over the last 30 years or something, so that's... Okay, but that's being said, like you said, I think it's just a shame if anything like this happens. Khalid Narai played for HSV last year. I know that when he went to Düsseldorf, there were some bad things going on and, and uh, the, uh, he did everything in a totally correct way and the club stated that again today. So uh, just the supporters were not happy with him leaving. And that they now abuse Bakariyata, <laughs> I can't even believe that. So uh, I don't know how people can do that. But well, that might be just a few of them. But everyone who does such a thing is one people too many, of course. In addition to that, uh, we, we saw that the supporters were throwing things on the pitch 
all the time or at least for a huge period and the linesman was hit by a pen so no big drama for him luckily and of course throwing things on the pitch is not as bad as racism um, but you should not do that and it fits in the whole story so there were some people who, who were really really angry with the whole situation and maybe I don't know dealing with alcohol again after one and a half years maybe for the first time also led to that but that's of course always a bad excuse so it shouldn't be an excuse for racism and acting like that so i just read today that the dfb started investigations so there will be a huge fine to hsv and we all know that their financial situation is uh, more or less the same as Vera, so not good and if they need to play behind closed doors, even if it will be for just one game, it would really hit them hard. So Yeah, and the thing about Bakari Yatta, though, is, is that he, he has been to, through quite a shitstorm already as an HSV player. He had the Springer Presse, which uh, basically is built and sport built and, and a lot of, uh, well, let's call them other right-leaning publications, uh, ganging up on him, writing stories about uh, him not being the person who he says that he is and that he uh, actually managed to get into Germany with forged documents and such with really not an awful lot of evidence but you know they decided to publish it all the same and uh, that really caused a bit of a media outrage from uh, in the aftermath and you know some some clubs actually had the tenacity to say well since the, that player might not be the person he says that he is uh, we want three points against hsv for a match that, that we actually lost on the pitch because we were playing against a player who um, wasn't who he says that he is and that is uh, that is against the rules of the dfb so i mean he's your own player he's been through all of that and you actually go to a match and decide to abuse him racially I mean, that is just as low as it gets, if if you ask me. Well, uh, Jasmine, I, I mentioned uh, that HSV took to Twitter to describe these incidents. How do you think the clubs have handled this incident so far? I mean, despite Hamburg's statement and the One Build article, I think I saw, was I think Mutzel's um, line about it, the sporting director of Hamburg, and there's not been too much on it. I mean, it's good to have people coming out against it and also mentioning about it. I guess because it's an investigation that they're not going to comment on it a bit more, but it will. I hope that when the investigation is ended, these fans can be identified and obviously given stadium bans for life because there is no place for that. And I think, especially in the kind of... Uh, uh, kind of political and social view that we're currently in, it's good to make a stand of those early rather than later and let it drag on. So it's good to see the clubs already speaking out against it, so hopefully just a little bit more of action when we know who these people are, and that would be quite... I think there just has to be more of a realisation that these incidents are sadly going to happen whether there's been a rise of them recently or just more people are speaking out against them i'm not quite sure um i would hope it's the latter and it's just people speaking out so if we can get strong action on that and strong recurring action on people like this then that would be handled well in my opinion I mean, in Norway, they actually have something uh, where clubs actually can send fans who abuse players racially to sensitivity classes before they get to re-enter the stadium. I mean, I'm 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 pretty much against live bans because I think everybody deserves a second chance, even for for these kind of offensive vile as they may be. But yeah, I mean, uh, some people you cannot educate and. Uh, Obviously, those people we don't want in the stadiums. Anyways, you, you mentioned the political atmosphere in Germany right about now. And, uh, well, we just had federal elections in Germany where the uh, right-wing lunatics of the AFD managed to garner an astonishing amount of support. Uh, around 10% of the population voted for them. Which brings me to this. I, I mean, you sort of touched upon this. Maybe people are speaking out more. But how common are these incidents at football matches in Germany? And do we see a lot more of them down, down the divisions, Mike? I think these situations have never been away. So they always took place every single weekend in Germany, unfortunately. And um, yeah, probably there is not that 
much going on in the first or second division um, because these are, well, more or less family events in the last couple of years. So, yes, in the lower leagues, you definitely have those incidents more and more often. I, I don't think that this will go up again. I, I think it will just stay on the same level. And we do have these 10% people who tend to act like this. And it's a shame. And we can only try to stop this and speak up. And I think it, it happens at every club and uh, also in the first two leagues it might happen from time to time and, and it just it doesn't get the attention of the public uh, and you will you will just need to deal with that in your circle around you you need to speak up when you're I don't know when when you witness such a situation and even if someone is just talking to a friend and says says things like that and um you need to speak up and, and that's the only way that we can deal with that and hopefully change it in the near future. But um, I think it will stay like this for the next couple of years as we see in the election results. Well, uh, talking about fans who cannot change, there was also an unpleasant incident in Rostock, uh, which you alerted me to, uh, Jasmine. What, what happened there? Basically, the Rostock fans had a very large banner basically criticizing all policemen. Uh, I think it, I think the direct translation, Mike, please correct me if I'm wrong, one's enough. All cops are the uh, hashtag we see so recently. Um, but it was quite sinister because this was about a policeman who was in training who had sadly passed away from a heart attack at the age of 24. So it has basically thrown up a lot of questions around the fan base the fans that managed to get a very big banner there as well and who's associated with it wasn't it wasn't it something along the lines of uh, one less is good news or something like that mike yeah and all cops are bastards yeah. which are you know i mean the last bit i don't necessarily take offense to but um to Dish something out like that on a grieving family who's just lost a son, a brother, um, you know, a uh, nephew, uh, passed away far too young. It's just it just speaks of uh, no class whatsoever. But but then again, you as a San Pauli fan, you you know that there have been a lot of incidents with uh, with Hansa Rostock. But as as you say, I mean, you. Also, have to take into consideration that Hansa Rostock actually does have some left-leaning fans. I mean, the the German band, what, what are they called? Uh, the punk band from Rostock. Feine Sahne Fischfili. There you go. They uh, they they are pretty left-wing, uh, considered to be left-wing terrorists by some right-wing politicians even, and and they are Hansa Rostock fans. So uh, I mean, you have to not that that excuses that banner by all means, but you have you have to keep that in mind that we are talking about uh, a very vocal group of fans who are very much present at the stadium, and as some politicians have said, now is the bloody time to deal with them for Hansa Rostock, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Might be. <laughs> <laughs> it's about time. Come on. I mean, there have been... If we could do an entire episode on incidents that have happened at the Ostsee Stadion, couldn't we? Yeah. I, I would differ between banners like these and um, incidents like when they were sending rockets into the away end. So this is uh, something, of course, uh, that you need to um, to talk about. But uh, the, the the banner on the weekend, I, I of course, I wouldn't write that line. I wouldn't do it. But I think everything they want is that people like us or media in general talks about it. They just want this this scandal uh, happening in the media. And uh, I think then when when they write that line, they laugh about it because they know what will happen. They don't mean what they write down. They just want the scandal. They just want uh, people to think, oh, those Rostock guys again. And yeah, I, I think there are incidents which are more uh, important where, where we need to definitely dive into detail at a certain stage. But this banner, I, I was not laughing about it, so don't get me wrong, but um, I don't think that this is 
so cruel like the politicians do at the moment. I think there has been incidents which, yeah, well, you, you might have talked about earlier and not on this banner only. All right, uh, let that be the last word on this matter. Uh, one last thing uh, which struck me also as I was doing my research for this episode is the, is the fact that Nuremberg, and, you know, again, once again, changing topics ever so drastically without a good segue. Sorry about that. But Nuremberg, the club, still undefeated. Mats Müller, Daily Sight, they've drawn six, won four. What shall we make of them so far? Are they either, are they looking like a viable candidate for their eighth ever promotion, which would tie them for the records of promotion with Arminia Bielefeld? Mm, hard to say once again. I, I guess if you take in account that the last, I think, one Bundesliga season, two, the last two seasons, and those top three or the top two after 10 match days aren't there by the end of the season maybe Nuremberg does have a good chance they're, they're just lacking a little bit at the moment not losing is a great sign but they're currently not scoring enough goals they have the best defense on both goals conceded and also expected goals allowed but they're ranking 10th on xg and also have the worst goals scored in the top half joint with Heidenheim at the moment. But again, it's a good solid um, like tactic, formation, results to progress in 10 match days in. And if they can build on that, then they could be a viable candidate. Right. So it's a bit like Starbucks coffee. It's safe, but not really all that exciting. Yes, that's, that's, that's a perfect... Hold on, I think pumpkin spice latte is very exciting for this time of the season. Pumpkin spice latte. Uh, I, uh, if you haven't seen Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, <laughs> go onto YouTube and type in pumpkin spice latte and Last Week Tonight. And uh, yeah, you'll see what all of that is about. All right, let that be the last word for this part of the show. And we'll be back in just a gif with part two and some lower league news. back let's dive straight into some low league news and uh, well let's start off really far down the divisions for once uh, let's start off at the Oberliga Rheinland-Pfalz Saarnord which is the fifth division Eintracht Trier uh, Trier which is a is a Roman town with uh, loads of lovely architecture which is mostly known for but their football club Eintracht Trier are currently topping the table after 12 match days but their fans they do seemingly have a bit of a reputation on them. Earlier this season there were some incidents surrounding their local derby against Tus Koblenz, which is really putting it mildly, and that caused in turn the officials at another side called Hassia Bingen to exclude all spectators from the match between their team and Eintracht Trier voluntarily. Safety couldn't be guaranteed according to the officials. Now, most of our listeners probably have never heard of Eintracht Trier, as they really haven't had their heyday in quite some time. But you do know the German fan scene a little bit better than most of us, Mike. Uh, can you tell us if Trier's fans have a bit of a reputation on themselves? Well, they, they do, but... Well, <laughs> of course, not that much as, as the Hasja Bingen officials now... Uh, uh, thought they they would have, and, and especially not for a club which which plays in the fifth tier at the moment. And I just realized that I did my research on Tusk Koblenz instead of Eintracht Trier, so everything I wrote down for uh, staying in the second league for four years and so on was on Koblenz. And we are talking about Eintracht Trier, so I mixed that up. I'm sorry, uh, but <laughs> they they played a better role in in uh, some years ago, and I just remember that they throw us out of the cup. Uh, I, I would say around 2010. Um, so they definitely saw better times. Yeah, but but it, it might be an oh, it is definitely an overreaction to treat your own club like this just because there is some club coming with a few people who might cause some stress. And my best guess is that also the pandemic situation took some part in this. Maybe they were afraid that 
supporters fighting the stadium would cause some bad headlines. And they tried to avoid that from the very beginning. But okay, in the end, I, I don't understand that. Well, the, the Eintracht Trier fans weren't going to take that line down, Jasmine. So what did they do? They made a good situation by the end of it. They decided to sell ghost tickets, geister tickets, which are quite popular in German football, which I hadn't really realized before, for around five euros. And the money that they made from the geister tickets were donated to charitable organizations. So in Bingen, they donated to one that provides youth services. And in Trier, they used it for profits for their own youth team. And yeah, as I said, this is quite a popular concept, especially in, I'm going to say lower leagues, even though it was Dinamo Dresden where I first picked up on this being used. They were in the third league when I saw them using it. So that's around the same. That's lower league enough. Um, but they did it last season during the DFB Pokal. And these things can be pretty popular during, for fans. They sold around 73,000 tickets to show um, the team support during COVID. I can't remember. Yeah, and the proceeds for that one went to a local hospital. So it's a really good fan initiative, especially if you can't actually get into games. Yeah, I mean, uh, some clubs did the same in order to survive uh, COVID. Kickers Offenbach did the same last season. And uh, the same actually uh, can be said about, I think, Lok Leipzig, who sold uh, tickets to Ghost Match through their websites. Uh, Union Berlin uh, in, in, the, in the Bundesliga, they actually sold uh, <laughs> internet sausages and stadium beers to fans. <laughs> I mean, that that's one way to make money. Uh, Dirk Singler, that old capitalist. Anyways, uh, let, let's return back to Eintracht Trier, who currently are on the fifth tier. Uh, that, that club has seen some better times, Mike. And have, have you been able to get to the Wikipedia page just about now? <laughs> yeah, they, they played in the second league uh, around in the beginning of the 2000 years. So from... 2002 until 2005 so for three seasons uh, um, yeah but they never played a really big role and um, I think uh, at the moment well they do a good job and they they might go back up to the Regionalliga at the end of the season yeah but but I think the architecture of uh, Trier is more popular than the football club and there are reasons for that <laughs> well then, uh, if, if you want to know how they're doing right about now, the match in question we talked about, the man between Hasia Bengen and Eintracht Trier ended in a 2-1 win for Eintracht, who are currently leading the division by 9 points after 12 match days. So uh, we'll see how that one pans out. And quick word on Hasia Bengen. Uh, do you, any of you guys know what, what they are famous for? I've never been there. I can tell you if I tried. Ailton. <laughs> His last club was Hasia really? Bingen. Yeah, that's true. Werder's mm. Verda and Schalke striker Ailton. The last station he had was at Hasia Bingen back when they were playing in the sixth division. And uh, talking about something completely, entirely different once again, let's turn to Togichu München. They are currently in the 10th spot of the third tier. And, well, they're playing their second season in, in the third tier, but um, they are kind of an ambitious club, aren't they? They are, yeah. Um, they have this uh, investor, and to me, it all looks like a very similar story like KFC Oerding faced in the last couple of years with their uh, investor, uh, Puno Marev who tried to get as soon as possible to, to the professional football. And when he realized it won't work out, then he left the club again. And I think now he's involved in some ice hockey and so on. So um, this is really a sad story. And um, uh, the similar thing might happen to Tokuchi. They got up to the third tier in the last couple of years quite fast with their investor. Um, but even in, in last summer, there were rumors that he will take out the money of the club, uh, which would have been the end to it at, at, in total. And um, uh, most of the people 
had the club already left him, so St. Pauli had a player on loan to Turkuchi, uh, Yi Jung Park, and he came back quite quite soon. And I I was a little bit surprised that they had a really good squad in when, when the season started again. So there there must have been some changes in the summer, but that uh, investor is still there. So well, l- let's wait and see. They they. St- still seem to have that ambitions um, but uh, wh- what will be the end of the story when they won't make it to second league in the end of this season again then he might be gone forever so let's wait and see It's yeah I mean he sounds like a bit of an erratic guy because last season they actually published a, <laughs> I think it was a press release even where, where he said that no I'm gone I'm gone I'm gone and the following day he said no well you know what I've reconsidered and at some point, he actually considered moving the entire club to North Rhine-Westphalia because, quote, there are more Turks living there than in Munich. We, we don't get enough spectators. So why not move the entire club up there, which the DFB said, no, you cannot do that according to our statues. Because we are not the NFL. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Milton uh, Wimbledon did it with Milton Keynes. Yep, back in the day. Uh, so I mean, you, you don't have to look any further than 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 England for for that to to happen. But anyways, I I wouldn't base uh, kind of moral and just grounded football at the moment for anything, especially when it comes to club ownership or anything like that. And the whole Wimbledon case between MK Dons and the new AFC Wimbledon is still kind of a rivalries and still very heartfelt when you talk about it so I don't think we would see another one like that just there's Norwegians coming in and screwing up Wimbledon (laughs) that's what it was Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about go to Milton Keynes Don's uh, Wikipedia page and and look it up Uh, anyways um, but guys like uh, Hassan Kibran they they truly are a thorn in the eyes of many fans aren't they they are I mean, it's potentially another hop, isn't it? And, you know, just this weekend, there were there's some, some lovely posters of Ditna Hop going up all around Cologne this, this weekend. Yeah, but that's a different story because uh, they do that, of course, first of all, because they hate Ditna Hop, but then there was this whole thing with all these vaccines going on where he promised in the beginning of the, of the pandemic that his company will have that vaccine as soon as possible. And he really got to the media he earned some money with that and now we have nearly two years after the pandemic has started and there's still no vaccine from from hops company and this of course was a really easy target for the cologne fans and they hit (laughs) (laughs) well but i mean the the similarity that is it's not necessarily between what these guys do for a living, but it's it's about somebody who just takes a small team and pumps it full with money, uh, money that that team never would get elsewhere, and makes it bigger than it actually is. I mean, Hoffenheim, if they hadn't hoped, they'd be at best a fourth or third tier side, wouldn't they? Yeah, from that perspective, you're totally right. Yeah. Um, anyways, I mean, when you look at the, the third tier table and, and, and you look at the name Toguchu, uh, you think, oh, great, an immigrant club, because there are so many of them in Germany. Because there is actually a long-standing uh, tradition of immigrant communities forming clubs in Germany. Can you can you talk a little bit about that, uh, Mike? Oh well, the the most popular one is of course Türkiye Sport Berlin. They uh, went up until the Regionalliga in the mid of nineties, and back at that time, it, it was also a third tier. Um, and and I think in in every big city you do have one or two clubs from immigrants and mostly of course from from turkish guys who who play for finnabatsche or for galatasaray in their local city and um, maybe there are even some rivalries between some turkish clubs in the bigger cities at least but non-immigrant team ever made it to to really top league in germany up to now so turkey might be the first one but well, on the other hand, if you take a look at the squad, there are not that many Turkish people in the squad, so they are just a normal football club like everyone else. And They even, um, they even have a player from Scotland. I mean, that's big <laughs> enough, isn't it, for the third league? Yeah, sure. But I mean, <laughs> I mean, the, you mentioned that the, the host of, of, of 
immigrant clubs. I mean, if you're in Berlin, for instance, it's great because you've got Italian clubs, you've got Croatian clubs. Croatia, Berlin, by the way, absolute favorite of mine. Um, uh, me, Terry, and Matt went there, and uh, the two of them who do eat meat, uh, they absolutely love the chibapchichi there. And, and it's a great thing because you get sort of like served with Croatian or Italian food at the matches. And it's it's just, you know, you just go there. It's the Berlin Liga and you go there for a fiver. So it's it's a great day out. And um, But to Gucci, as, as you mentioned, they might be the first team to play in the Bundesliga too with such a background. And Jasmine, looking at their squad, looking at their coach, who's Peto Bala, do you think they might be able to pull that off? Uh, Peter Bala hasn't really screamed in doing something like that before, but why not? Um, I think Kivrin, there's some rumours and a little bit of digging. He wanted to sell the club and it, he decided not to because he really wants to get into the second Bundesliga. And um, he was saying the only way that the club could do that is if they have a youth academy. And I think there's some some agreement between the city of Munich that granted them the permission to build a youth academy. Um, there's some agreement there. Maybe he's not paying the full bill of that youth academy there, which should help. And I think that's why he's actually stayed on after saying, oh, I'm going to leave. But if that's the kind of investment that they can get, um, there's no reason why they can't be the first ones to get into the top tier. I think it's still maybe a year or two off, but again, we're in such unexpected leagues of football. And it is, it could happen, but I think it might be a bit too early this year. I think it might be a long game now after his kind of tempo tantrum. I think it might have just been a play. Yeah. It looks like it from the academy actually being granted. So. Maybe. Maybe, just maybe. They, they, they don't even have a home ground. So How did they get that youth academy in that? I don't know. Well, they, they might, of course, have a home ground somehow, but that's just a piece of grass somewhere, so they don't have a stadium. <laughs> and um, they, they play in the Olympic Stadium at the moment. They tried to play in the Grünwalder Stadion of 1860. And I think last year they even played some games in Würzburg. Oh. So totally strange and um, I don't see a solution to that so if they go go back to, or if they go up to the second Bundesliga where do they want to play they, they can't play in the Olympic Stadium I, I can't imagine that they will do that <laughs> well uh, I mean there are a lot of unresolved issues there it's going to be an exciting story to follow and if they should go up to the Bundesliga 2 the fact that they do have an investor is going to be ever more prominent in the German press, I'm sure. And um, Jasmine, as you mentioned, the, the Dritte Liga is rather unpredictable. If you go on a run of like three or four matches and win, you suddenly bounce from the bottom of the table to the top. I mean, Kaiserslautern, they were in the relegation ranks. They're now looking up again after after winning three on the bounce. And, well, what I can say about the Dutti Liga is it produces a lot of great football. Um, tonight, there was an example of that as Vell uh, beat Havelse 5-3. Anyways, leaving the Dritte Liga uh, for now, uh, let's turn over to your ground-hopping advice, Mike. And, uh, well, I, I do have a feeling that it might be rooted in uh, this weekend's big excursion. Yeah. Um, like I said, to get to Heidenheim, you need to have some time. <laughs> and so I started my weekend trip on Friday. We went to Aschaffenburg, where Victoria Aschaffenburg in the Regionalliga Bayern faced Spielvereinigung Bayreuth. Uh, Bayreuth missed promotion to third league in the playoffs this year, so they are quite ambitious. And usually they do have a good support for that league, So, but only, unfortunately only 50 people showed up on that Friday evening. Let's come back to the stadium. It's Stadion am Schönbusch. This is the home of Victoria and has at the moment a capacity of 6,600. And uh, we talked about the NFL, so local American football team also plays there, which explains the pitch. In the beginning of the 20th century, they started to play there. So 1909, that's definitely one of the oldest grounds, at least in the area, if not in whole Germany, that is still in use. And it has a huge history. And in um, the past, the pitch needed to be turned in 
1993 for 90 degrees. And this is funny enough, but it happened to many stadiums. I know, for example, the Volksparkstadion at HSV also was turned for 90 degrees. But the reason why they need to do that is rather strange because they want to build a new stand and a new floodlight. And there is a law in Bavaria that prohibits that the view from a certain park to a castle is disturbed by anything. And so if they would have built the floodlight and the stand like they wanted to, with the pitch in the same position like before, you were not able to view the castle from that park. <laughs> so they can't they were not allowed to do that. And they needed to turn the stadium, the pitch for 90 degrees, and then it was possible. And so now there is a park and a castle, and you can watch the castle from the park. And still, there is in the middle of it a stadium with a floodlight. So great story. I learned that on Friday evening from, from a local. Unfortunately, Victoria didn't manage to get promoted to the third league in recent years, so all kinds of modernization was not achieved since then, and the people of Aschaffenburg are really missing the atmosphere of the good old days. In 80s or 90s, the capacity was up to 18,000, and uh, this was uh, the record attendance was 18,000-something in, in a game against Nuremberg. So, uh, yeah, on Friday we had, I don't know, 1,200 or something. It's not bad. It's not bad for a regular league match. And, uh, hey, talking about Aschaffenburg, do you, do you know who the biggest player ever was? Felix Magath. Yes. Sure. Yes. Somebody who knows his HSV trivia. I like that. Anyways, uh, this is it for another edition of uh, TV Aufstieg Edition. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, this episode was produced with the utmost of care by Aiden Rain Tool as ever. Great to be back online with you guys and, and have a chat and uh, a therapy session about last weekend. Uh, anyways, uh, Mike, where can people find you on Twitter? On Twitter, it's Mike Cru, or you better follow the Milanton. You better do that, Jasmine. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jasmine underscore BH1, I think. I've suddenly forgotten. And Nick, don't be depressed. If you want to cheer yourself up, see where Darmstadt were after 10 games last season and where they ended up. And I think you'll feel better with the coach that you have. I just might take a look into that. Anyways, uh, you can find me, Nick Miltagen, at Norm Musings. Find the podcast at Talking Foosball. Make sure to get back to us with uh, your feedback regarding this or any other of our episodes. Give us a rating in iTunes and make sure to tune in to the Fantasy Boys podcast, which is coming up next on this feed. Until two weeks from now, it is goodbye for now. <laughs>